The Ulnerwick Files. Like that. See? It's simple, Peter. You've just got to press a button, and it'll turn on. Okay. Right. That's really all there is to it. When someone comes in, you'll show them in here, sit them down, and take their report. Should I be writing it while they're speaking? Preferably, yes. It saves time later, and any gaps that you need to fill in only require listening to the tape once over. Really? I just... I, I mean, it just seems so impersonal, just writing and not even looking at the person. Well, we're not exactly here to run customer service. Is that it? Yeah, pretty much. Any questions? Uh, one, actually. What do I do while I wait for people to come in and give their reports? Uh, well, once your paperwork's been fully processed, you'll get assigned to a researcher. If they need to bring in witnesses or consultants or anything like that, you'll get called in to take notes. Until then, you should take a look at the employee's handbook and review your starting package. Now, if you'll excuse me, I gotta get back to work. But what about you? What about me? Well, you don't do any of that. No. I used to, though. And now? I'm the archival transcriptionist. I go through old records and type up transcripts for the ones that don't have any. That way, if a researcher needs to reference any past cases, it's there and ready to go. Why'd they get you to show me around if we don't even work the same job? Because I used to have your job. Oh. Cool, but then you got promoted. No, like, literally your job used to be mine. We only need a certain amount of people in that position, so when you came in, they moved me to the archives. They didn't have anyone working there permanently, and with one too many people in this department, I got a transfer notice. Oh. Yeah. And speaking of which, I gotta get back to work. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email. Gotcha. Oh, and you should turn that off. You'll waste the tape. Archival tape from April 10th, 1924. Researcher on duty was Georgiana Keyes, forwarded notes taken June 11th, 2021 by Joni Chang, archival transcriptionist at the Alnerwick Foundation, Toronto. Whenever you're ready, please state your name, occupation, and the incident you'd like to report. Dr. Abigail Park, biology faculty at the University of Toronto. I'm reporting a missing colleague, Hugo Marsh. With all due respect, ma'am, this sounds like a matter for the police. The police don't want to hear anything about it. They said there weren't any grounds to open an investigation. Then why bring it here, of all places? I don't know if you read the sign, Doctor, but we deal more with things that are of an unnatural nature. You'll understand after you hear about Hugo. All right, then. Please continue. Hugo... Hugo was a good man. He normally kept to himself on off hours, never ruffled any feathers... He was also quite good with the students, always very patient and more than happy to answer their questions. But then... But then over the recent months, he's changed. He started locking himself in the lab after hours, and when all of us would come in the next morning, there he'd still be. He always said that he wanted to get in early and get a start on this experiment he was working on. Something to do with a new type of aquatic moss, I think. He started to look more tired and drew back from the rest of us. I think the only time I saw him for more than two minutes this past month was when he asked me to come into his third year class as a guest speaker. 
I was supposed to give a talk on prepping samples for microscopic study, but but he just stood there, ranting about this new experiment he was doing. It went on for two hours. And despite that, I couldn't tell you what it was about. He was speaking English that much I've been able to confirm with the students also in attendance, but none of us can recall a single word of what was said. Hugo was completely incoherent. I didn't end up speaking to the students that day, and I didn't speak to Hugo again after that. Two days later, Hugo failed to show up to work and hasn't been back since. When exactly did he disappear? March 27th. The university reported it to police two days later, and when it was rejected, I suggest we come here. They didn't take that idea seriously, no offense, which is why I'm only coming to you now. Did he take anything with him? What about this experiment he was working on? He just left it in one of the laboratories. It's still there the last time I checked. No one knows what to do with it. What about his office? Exactly as he left it. Honestly, I, I don't think he went in there during his last week. I don't think he left the lab during that time. Are you the only faculty member concerned with his disappearance? Not at all. The whole department is distraught, as are administrators. A teacher leaving halfway through the school term tends to be quite an issue, and they've been scrambling to find someone to fill his position. Is there anything else you can tell me? I'm afraid not. I'd be happy to write you a letter of introduction if you'd like to talk to the head office, though. That would be aces, Dr. Park. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. I hope you find him, Miss Keys. Alright, this is Keys recording an update to the Marsh case. Evening of April 10th, 1924. Like Dr. Park suggested, I talked with the administration. Much to their chagrin, Marsh doesn't seem to have arranged any notes or coursework for the professor filling in for him. They also gave me a key to his office, which I took the opportunity to visit while I was on campus. It's well kept, nothing to indicate he was distraught in the hours leading up to his final departure from the university. I, uh, I did find something of interest, though. A bottle hidden in a hollow panel of his desk. Whiskey, or rather, whatever passes for whiskey these days by the smell of it. I brought it back to the foundation for further study. Judging by the looks of it, it's fairly recent, too. The label read Shelby and Sons Liquor Co. It's a fig brand made to sound fancy, just like all moonshine. I went through the papers on his desk, too. No correspondence besides a note to his brother Henry, which doesn't give much insight, and all the professor's research notes for his experiment. I spent the evening combing through those. It seems Dr. Park was correct. Marsh was doing a research project on what he believed to be a new form of aquatic moss that he had recently found traces of throughout Toronto's sewers and less offensive drainage pipes. According to his notes, the moss responds very negatively to bright light. Not that that's all that relevant to this investigation. Unfortunately, the one thing of note is the only thing I don't have access to. This experiment that Dr. Park mentioned appears to have developed from an interest into an obsession for Professor Marsh, and may be worth further study for any signs of possession or otherworldly life. Unfortunately, these academic types weren't too keen on me poking around an experiment in progress. Never mind that it hasn't been in progress for the past two weeks. Anyways, I haven't gotten a sample of the moss yet, but at least the professor was kind enough to include detailed drawings in his notes. The moss in question is a pale blue-gray, 
and appears to grow small white flowers. It doesn't match any species that Michael could dig up in our records, or find at the library. So, for the time being, we must assume it is indeed a new species. Whether it is of this world or not has yet to be determined. Why would a tenured professor with a promising new study voluntarily disappear? What's clear is that he left the school of his own volition, though what happened after is still unknown. Frankly, I'd be willing to dismiss this as a missing persons case better suited to police investigation if it wasn't for the increasingly erratic behavior the professor exhibited prior to his disappearance. My plan for tomorrow is to track down March's brother, Henry Marsh. Hugo arranged to have his mail forwarded to Henry, which means he may have details about his brother's whereabouts, or at the very least, the reason why he left. Transcriptionist note. While most of the material we have from the Foundation's pre-Cold War era consists of written reports and records, it would seem that our predecessors also had a brief stint where they recorded their reports. Not that you would know that from the amount of space they take up. The old recordings are done on blue amber cylinders, which seem to have been made around the same time as the Foundation was established in 1918, but from what I can tell, they don't seem to have been used to record anything before 1924. They only record four minutes apiece, so as you can imagine... There's a lot of them. From the labels, it looks like there's only about a year's worth of recordings taking up the whole damn- sorry, company recordings- a whole bookshelf in the audio archive. It'll be tedious work, but I should have this finished in two weeks. End recording. The Olnowick Files is written by Charlotte Dolesky and directed by Charlotte Dolesky and Riley Armstrong. For more information on this episode, as well as a full cast and credits list, see our show notes in the description. Rate and review us on iTunes, follow us at Alnwick Radio on Instagram, contact us via the questions box on Spotify or our email, alnwickradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.